everybody, welcome to the latest podcast edition of Cult Following from the people who bring you Cult Classics AZ every month at the Pollock Tempe Cinemas. We're getting closer to our magic 10th episode. Join us on our journey. This is Victor Marino. I'm one of your three hosts today, along with Kirby Nelson. Yes! And Adam Rutkowski. That's me. And today we're going to talk about movies and movie-related ephemera. Shocking. Yes, very. And our main topic later on is going to be parodies and satires in film. Movies that take the world around us and explore it through comedy and satire. So, you guys. Yeah. What have you been up to this week? What have you experienced in the world of film of late? Kirby, Adam, whoever oh, well, feels like contributing at this moment. Well, I think Kirby went first last time. Yeah, yeah. let's. Uh, I'm going. Ah, well, there are a couple things that I missed last time. There wasn't so much that I did over this last week. There is one thing that's like directly uh, correlating with the main topic today, so I'm just going to wait for that one. But um, I have been watching, or I watched the first four episodes of the uh, complete disaster that is The Neighbors on Hulu. Oh, wow. You got way far. I can get like 10 minutes into that. Right. It complete and utter shit. Uh, the Tommy Wiseau uh, nightmare. The genius behind the room. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, that almost comes into like where I don't, I don't know if he's actually like that. Uh, and just got the book that disaster artist the the story behind the room yeah my friend greg wrote that book uh but i don't know if this guy is for real or if he's just like a parody of himself and if you're talking about parodies and satires but i just i it's it's just it's so bizarre it's just painful to watch and part of the pain of watching it is almost like uh Oh, what are they? I mean, I, I feel like a like a like a priest who's done something wrong, and I'm getting whipped, and you know, just for like he's you probably know, enjoying it. it, right? Uh, anyways, I, I actually uh, had to be his driver for a weekend when he came out to Phoenix. You know, like his handler and his handler. <laughs> pretty much, you know, he was doing a personal <laughs> appearance out here, and I was driving him and Greg around. Um, that was a very interesting experience. Like he's very hands-on about how he wants to be presented. You know, I'm sure at one point he was genuine, but he is basically playing a character. Right. You know, I was driving him. We were coming up to the theater and he's like, oh, Victor, there is no line. Can you call the owner and tell them to please make the line outside so I can give everyone high fives? (laughs) It just doesn't doesn't make any sense. It, it, It just, there's like some sort of weird... I th- I really do think he's an alien. If there's aliens, I think he's an alien. Yeah, I don't know. I only met him. I actually met him at the uh, time period you're talking about. Victor was. Um, I had actually. It's funny. I came home. I had been in South America for three weeks, so I had just flown all day from Ecuador to Orlando to Phoenix. I got in because my friend Zach was showing an actual print of Sleepaway Camp. So nice. I was just dying to see it. He had oh, an yeah. 8, a, 8 p.m. and a 10 p.m. show. So I came. I was like, if I miss the 8 p.m., I'll be there at the 10 p.m. And, of course, he doesn't actually show it. He he showed it the one time. And he goes, no, nah, I'm not going to show it. 
promise and promises and here we are five years later still no still no print i don't think he has it anymore but yeah he sold it to uh to zach at the draft house House, yeah i think for like two grand yeah he's he's like an uber driver in burbank now yeah it was a beautiful uh beauty he had some of the best looking prints i ever saw uh zach did he used to do some amazing shows but it was um the uh but you know they introduced me to tommy and he's just kind of like um, you know, oh hey, he just got this. You know, introduced me, oh, and it's like, yeah, and it's like, this is my buddy Curry. He just got home, back home from South America and stuff, and he was like, oh, you know, that is amazing. Tell me about, <laughs> tell me about your journeys, and I'm like, dude, I literally can't do it. And then we just took pictures. <laughs> I just wanted like one picture, maybe like a couple. And I was just, you know, just for the fuck of it. We end up doing like a whole on photo session. I think uh, what's her name has those photos still. Uh, Lisa used to take pictures oh yeah and i mean they were literally like we were like uh fighting with lightsabers had both of our sunglasses on wow. i'm I pretty sure he french those, kissed me and it was very very unnerving i just remember his he had two belts on and a chain wallet damn it, it was just he had like this whole like I'm oh, it's so very Judd hip. Nelson. Look at my chain wallet, everyone. <laughs> I was thinking more like Corey Feldman or and Corey, Dream yeah. a Little oh, yeah, Dream. That's yeah. what I was thinking of rocking that Michael Jackson. But, you know, good thing it wasn't a three belts or anything. No, it wouldn't yeah. be too ostentatious, but. Would have been quite the challenge going to the bathroom. Oh, <laughs> where, which zipper do I use for the belt? <laughs> I, I will say he was nice. I mean, nice throughout the whole thing. Like, he was genuinely really, really sweet but it was just whether it's an act or that i think victor's on the right track is that i think he just developed that persona Mm -hmm. has be there's like a part of it that's natural and then there's the part where he doesn't because i mean yeah i think there's an expectation but i mean you know people throwing the spoons or whatever and all that like i mean actually i am not during the screening i mean people are asking him to sign it by somewhere they're playing football in the lobby and i'm like you know it came and went like the real diehard popularity of that but i mean at that time that was one of the that was that madcap right yeah that was definitely one of the biggest screens i ever saw there like i mean the line was pretty crazy so I mean, well, it, it was it. It was in the Desi reels, and that one held like four hundred. Yeah, which I thought at oh. the time was like, oh my god, who could ever seat four hundred people for an old movie? Yeah, now <laughs> pretty much every every month we're doing it. So yeah. good times. Okay, so uh, I I also saw well I, I, again I don't know the priest being whipped for whatever. Uh, what does they call that penance or whatever? What, what do they call that? When penance, like you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, so, so maybe I'm just you know a little bit of a, a masochist or something. Uh, I watched the Cobbler with Adam Sandler. The latest. I, I Adam heard Sandler that was vehicle. terrible. Sony, I've never even heard supposedly, of supposedly uh, Sony's not even releasing the VOD numbers for that. It's so bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Um, again, it's it's got it's one of those things where Adam Sandler. Um, I don't know his level of involvement other than being an actor. If it's his uh, production company, and but it's it. Remember the movie Click? Yeah, the one with the remote control. It was basically the that same thing, but had to do with shoes. Okay. Was he? So he was a cobbler. His father cobbled hmm. and had this magic, uh, 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 um, where they put in the stitching. 
Okay. So the so whatever went what how the stitching went through this old machine that was manually uh, operated, uh, whoever put on those shoes that was assembled with that machine, or if the soles were replaced, you walked in that person's shoes. Wow, that is some so, Oscar bait right there, uh, man. I'm geez. so touched this, this just hearing about bad, it. Just hearing it. The, the thing about Adam Sandler is like I want him to do a good film again but it just for some reason he always seems so bored when he's in a movie now he puts on this persona of i just don't want to be here or he's kind of playing like this depressed you know well now he's like 40 something but make these shoes i don't know it's even worse than that no it's not even that it's just like on with the impressions today (laughs) it's it's kind of just like ah just kill me now and then even when he realizes like the shoes does his you know does his magic well here's the important thing he's still just kind of like oh man this just i want to kill myself who else is in this anyone is is kevin james uh steve buscemi is in it oh my god He's supporting the, he's role the or big part? No, no, he's 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 significant because he's the uh, the store owner next door. He's the barber next door. Is uh, Deuce Bigelow in it? I forget the actor. Rob name. Schneider. You know, I actually didn't get through the whole in some form of ethnic movie. stereotype. Uh, I fell asleep halfway him through. Him or Kevin James? They're his, uh, you know, rolling. So wait, is it? I mean, you know, he's no v. Are you saying no VOD numbers yet? Was this a Hulu exclusive or was this just all over? I don't, it was just something I, I think I'm, like I've a, literally it's never an even iTunes heard of this. exclusive. Like right. they're trying to do. The thing is, this is a precursor because I guess they did a deal where his next four movies are going to come out exclusively on Netflix. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I can see that being the future of a lot of deals, but I'm just, I mean, I, I know what was it, Jack and Jill, and the That's My Boy did absolutely atrocious box office so i'm not surprised right. they finally i mean i think it's only the grown-ups thing is the only thing that they actually will still release theatrically i but, saw a trailer for this movie called pixels right where it's like these uh like uh atari games like pac-man and space invaders yeah, like and Futurama everything episode yeah exactly and i'm like oh i totally want to see this and then it says starring adam sandler and kevin, kevin james. james i'm like is this a Rick roll? You know, like I, I like the idea that I'm like, and then it just comes to a dull thud. Anywho, moving on, uh, Kirby, this is one that I thought was really interesting that, uh, did you hear about that? A and E is doing, let the right one in, in a TV series. I had heard that. Yeah. On some, um, you know blip on one of the sites but i haven't read much about it. i do know that they are you know obviously there's been some success with uh these adaptations of of you know kind of smaller horror film properties mm-hmm. or even some bigger ones that faded out yeah it's definitely picking up but that's yeah. interesting it, it's gonna be it's such a good story it's a great story and i know that they i i don't remember i didn't write down who they were but i know that the the people who are drafting it um for television are actually really reputable and good and like love the source material so i that's, wonder if it'll be set in america like let me right yeah, yeah. If it's gonna be, I, don't, well, I was also know. thinking you could have that there is the prequel and then the whole journey at the end for the two of them in either right. adaptation you know it works so that's yeah that's, that's a, it could really work i mean i just the thing with shows is that you know it's you never really know till it happens so right 
Yeah, or even if it's going to make it. I mean, they've only just announced that it's in uh, pre-production. So they don't have a cast, nothing like that. So a lot of things could change since then. Um, My wife mentioned to Victor that, you know, we did watch Banshee Chapter, and we actually really liked it. Uh, Then that led to us watching From Beyond right after that. Um, It's a good... uh compare and contrast yeah because because my wife never saw uh from beyond which i was really shocked she loves reanimator like up and down and she loves just all the studio and stuff so um so we just had like the best day ever and she's like oh this is so awesome and she watched um uh from beyond again the uh the shout factory release with uh or the scream is it scream or shout that put that out scream scream because i couldn't remember because they they were kind of like like crossing over before it became scream uh, for their certain horror titles or yep. whatever. But anyways, she went back and she uh, listened to the whole uh, film with the commentary again um, from from beyond. And then uh, last thing that I saw, uh, because you mentioned it last time, Victor, was Whiplash. Oh, yeah. What did you think? Which was incredible. It's like I want to go back and I want to change my best of 2014 because that thing just like bumps it like way up it affected me emotionally um it challenged me emotionally just that film just broke me yeah i loved it and i've been i've been trying to tell everybody about it. it's like you gotta see it gotta see it gotta see it yeah we're gonna have to do once kirby watches it talk about the ending of that movie because i yeah, feel yeah. it's like, oh yeah there's I'll a there's a lot of just weird contradiction like weird just going oh, on in that I'll, movie. I'll definitely try to get on here soon because I, I i i feel like i'm the one who's always behind on these <laughs> but i will agree with you that mine changed um if i could go back i probably would put gone girl it, it, oh, if sure. not, I would have talked a lot more about because that film just blew me away. You know, and I think even it, it would probably behoove us to maybe do like a, an update, maybe an update because we've caught yeah, up like on so many really things. Was like was the best picture of like 2015. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was tell we were talking about this off the air. It's like how every year I can't remember the winner. Like we were sitting around for a while before we remember that Twelve Years a Slave won last year. Right, and I already can't remember what won this year. Right, I don't either. I I just don't even know. I mean, most of the films, it's it's rare. Oh, Birdman. I... <laughs> yeah, that forgettable folks. Yeah, I just I can't even. I mean, I, I think it's when it's controversial, and I mean, there's definitely the whole the what was it the Oscars so white and all those kinds of things. Like, I mean, there was definitely some some items of note there, but I think that uh, that were I mean, I think there was you know people are but people are I mean you have a million uh, cause heads now everything is an issue and stuff and it's not because i hope people would express their opinion or what they feel passionate about but it's kind of like what it's rarely ever do i find something about actually like about the work like the validity of its art or something it's always some subtext or other issue with it and it's and it's reached a point where i mean you know i, I don't even know it, it's pointless probably to argue about it most of the time i just i i don't i i guess because i don't feel like i have to put forth the energy to defend any of these films oh sure i think the last time i actually was in any way she or form upset i mean i i just accept it's like the uh the grammys i mean i know nothing 
well, nothing the, good's gonna win but i mean grammys are a joke i mean i, I mean it's a joke that. but the academy awards i mean it's like i think was the time was the was that oh four oh five was with the uh, broke back mountain mm-hmm. it should have won i mean because crash was like one of the worst movies i've ever oh, seen terrible. in my life it, it was terrible so forgettable oh, yeah. and just garbage and yep. you know it, it, i mean i really mean that it had a talented cast it had good you know it could have worked if it actually it's been it's one of the most pc choices ever i feel like the academy that year really felt like oh if we don't recognize this what does that say about us and i'm like well it says you won't go in for a maudlin like racially you know a maudlin racial drama written by a white guy you know pretty much yeah so it's just one of those ones one of sander bullock's worst movies fyi yeah, that one's pretty bad. But then, of course, it's kind of funny that... And then she had, like, her white hero movie with the... Or the white savior yeah, with blind the blind side. <laughs> and it's like, you know... Um, uh, it's just one of those ones where people, you know... I I, 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 I I use that term. I mean, it's funny it's been thrown around for years, but the whole Oscar bait thing. But, I mean, like, yeah. you can tell when a movie is being made... Like, there are a few dark horses, like, things that come out of nowhere and, and succeed. But most of the time, I honestly feel people are just sitting there going, this is going to tug at your heartstrings. I, I think <laughs> ever since they, they boosted the Academy Awards up to having 10 possible slots for Best Picture. Oh, yeah. Like, um, the winners have been consistently bad. Well, because, like, yeah, and well, the thing is, is they're, they're trying to appeal to a larger, larger audience. Because the thing about the Oscars, even though it's such like a, a vapid and, and just completely just blank bullcrap uh, event that if you have like more people who are up for best picture, because really there isn't like a whole lot to like, like you were saying, to really get excited about most of the time. Now you have like a broader audience that's going to like root for, you know, this one or that one or might actually watch like to the very end. Well, it's a chore to watch all the nominees. And then usually the movie that wins is really undeserving. I still remember, what was it, like 2010 or 2011 when the, the artist won? completely unwatchable piece of garbage right. i don't to this day i don't know oh they love the black and white though oh no they love they the love dog the, yeah they, they wanted to give the special <laughs> oscar to the dog i'm just i i came I, I just remember seeing the trailer and be like no 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 not at all like i can't and i think that there's there is a um ingrained idea that you know for me it's like oh well you're you're a man or you're young or whatever you know you want to go see like fast furious seven it's like no i really don't actually no it's just I, called furious seven oh, i'm yeah. sorry yeah i keep forgetting pretty soon it'll just be ff and eight. they've already like confirmed furious eight okay good to know i i am shot i uh not surprised because he's he's done some good work but james wan is directing those you know now and it's like right. Yeah, it's, I mean, big ups to him, but it's like, I mean, because he's like, well, we'll do Insidious 3 and then we're just done. Yeah, like, it's, it's amazing a- to me the only movie James Wan has done that hasn't, like, been a huge hit was Dead Silence. Like, literally every other movie he's done has been, like, a mega hit. It's kind of crazy. I have a kind of a secret love for Dead Silence. It works. I, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, I, but I, it does. I, there's some great visuals in it, but that's also his downfall. It's the apex of his doll fetish, yeah. you know, but uh, I do think it has the best twist as far as that yeah. goes. Yeah. It does work. There's some, there's, I also, I mean, 
not quite to the Charles Band level, but I do love like dolls and stuff like that. I mean, I grew up fully on the child's play dolls, the movie. <laughs> um, I love the, the first three Doll puppet masters. Yeah. Toys. yeah. I like a lot of the full moon stuff. Uh, not the earlier years, obviously oh, yeah. nothing modern, but, um, <coughs> you know, I think a lot of those films, you know, it just, it, it's just fun. It's just, just fun. So, but, uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no. So that was just all me right there. Mm. Kirby. Yes, sir. What have you been catching up on? Well, I think uh, the big one for me was uh, I actually recently one saw It Follows, so which is kind of the the big piece of the moment, and I'm more than happy to talk about it here, but I actually just contributed our first article to cultfalling.co is my review of it. Oh, oh so, wow. Victor, did you see it today? No, I, want, I, I plan on seeing it later today. And I actually probably will go with him and see it again because <laughs> I, I liked it enough that I actually I missed parts of it enough. There's enough that I think needs a second viewing and probably a third. What were you doing? Like closing your eyes? No, it's just well, the big thing I will say without any kind of spoilers and stuff. The cinematography is incredible, and they used wide angle lenses. I mean, there's just so much to take in. Oh sure. Um, it was all shot. Uh, the directors from you know Detroit area. And everything is shot, you know, on on site. And I mean, you know, he just makes. Oh, believe me, in Detroit, they probably didn't care about permits. No, they. Oh, yeah. I, I highly doubt it. But or if it was, it was probably like yeah, two dollars and, and a large fry. About how like, you know, they're ripping up all these old buildings, buildings for yeah. copper wire. Yeah, it's. I mean, Detroit. I mean, you know, it's most places. I mean, it is. It's experiencing a you know revitalization. I mean, it's basically they're trying to make Williamsburg and downtown Detroit. But you know, all power to them. I'm. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things where I mean, the film. I mean, I feel like this year. I've um, this year, a little bit of last year. There's been a lot of like the big kind of. I mean, horror is my main thing, and it's like you know, there's always. It's like the Academy Awards of, of horror. It's the ones that you hear about that are in every top 10 list or what I'm looking forward to most. And I mean, right. I would say this year I've seen the bulk of them. I saw the Babadook, the guest. Um, I recently saw, or last month I saw a girl uh, walks home alone at mm -hmm. night. And then this is definitely the big one. I mean, this one, I mean, didn't go super fast into wide release, but I mean, it just happened last week. But I mean, it's already generated quite a bit of money. It's getting great. It's, no, it's really interesting, it, that whole thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to go in VOD this weekend, but what ended but up happening, it, yeah. it jumped from 32 screens to, I think, almost 1,200 this weekend. Like, you can go to any theater right now and watch it. it was, yeah. You know, and for Radius Weinstein Company to do that is like a big jump for them because uh, mostly every single movie they do is like a compressed window release. And I'm going to, once again, I'm going to do uh, Inside Baseball where I explain <laughs> one of these things from uh, our perspective. A lot of movies nowadays, you've noticed, like especially indie movies, tend to come out in theaters and a week later they're on VOD and iTunes and Amazon and all that. The way it, the reason this happens isn't because the studio really believes in VOD. In fact, most theater owners hate VOD. But uh, it's because a lot of these indie companies don't have that much money, so that way they can blow their budget hyping VOD theatrical release all in one shot. So they can maximize how much money they make because otherwise it probably would just be straight to video. So oh, compressed sure. window mm -hmm. basically helps them 
get some money from a theatrical release, which usually isn't that much. I mean, specifically, sometimes it could be between thirty to two hundred thousand, which would be, you know, pretty good. And then VODs where they make their real money. So the fact that Radius, which most of their movies, even Snowpiercer, went VOD with the same kind of platform, you know, it says they really believe in this movie, considering no one in this movie is famous it's a first time director and it's basically the premise you know i mean the main girl in this uh micah malone the only other movie she's been in is the guest which we've given a lot of props to on this mm-hmm. podcast but she's really good in that yeah he actually did um he did one other film um and i remember wanting to see it because it looked interesting what i never did it a couple years ago is the myth of the american sleepover um, which was, you know, coming of age. And this film is definitely also like a coming of age film, which I, I you know, is a, a real sub, sub, sub genre in the, the horror universe, but it works. Um, and this, um, I just really enjoy it. So, I mean, definitely check out the review. Um, hopefully, uh, me and Victor will go see it tonight or Adam will see it soon. And, you know, you guys can put in your two cents, but um definitely uh already one of my favorites of the year without a doubt i mean i think um you know it has a few flaws but overall (coughs) it it works and uh other than that i can tell you what doesn't work was i watched (laughs) a uh i have picked up uh from screen archives entertainment had a blu-ray exclusive of a uh forgotten i don't know if we can call this a forgotten gem uh but is uh the movie stripped to kill which is a erotic thriller mm-hmm. from the director of Poison Ivy. It right. was one of the first films. Oh, today. yeah. I vaguely remember this. I vaguely remember this from VHS years. Um, <laughs> yes, this could be, though, a cult classic in terms of how awful the dialogue. It probably has one of the worst original soundtracks I've ever heard. But it's you know the, there's parts of it that are just absolutely amazing. Like it, It's genuinely hilarious. Uh, unintentionally of course but um you know it's it's a it's a toy if you're into poison ivy the crush the temp hand that rocks the cradle i mean you're not gonna get i, I hate to say it but you're making me want to see this yeah movie. You know, yeah I am sweet, no like, that's what i'm saying it's like those you kinds don't, of movies you don't i have a, i have a soft spot for those and that's why i bought it i also bought their other one i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head they they did a deal with scorpion it's not twilight time releases on these it's just um, Blu-ray, it, everything else, like everywhere else, is just going to be a DVD, um, which probably would work just fine. But um, mm-hmm. this is actually a Corman-funded film too. This is a New World um, Pictures one, I believe, um, or at least Corman finances because he does some talks about. It, but definitely enjoyable. Like uh, enough that I, 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 the only thing I regret is I wish I'd watched it with a, a bunch of people. Sure. I think it would have been a lot more fun. So what would you say would be the, uh, like as the filmmakers putting this together? What do you think was the major selling point? Do you, you know, think it, they were like trying to make this as a theatrical release? Did oh, they know that it was going to be a kind of uh, no? I think VHS. This was, this was a Skinamax film. I mean, it is got well. That's nudity, what I meant. Right. Totally. But yeah. I get what you're saying. Like, but no, I think it did have a theatrical release. So I could look it up. But I mean. Um, it is definitely one of those films where, you know, it is that convergence of like the eighties buddy cop movie, the <laughs> okay. early nineties yeah. erotic thriller. I mean, kind of like your, um, you're making I mean, this sound awesome. Yeah. yeah but way. it's, it's, it's definitely worth checking <laughs> out. Like I, uh, like originally I was kind of like, oh man, I, cause I to- total blind buy. I, uh, the two biggest mistakes I've 
two biggest mistakes but then hey everything worked out was uh for me has been going back to picking up some blind buys and then ebay that the latter is not a good idea but anyways um uh kind of an old school one i picked up uh, i'll just run through these real quick but uh uh, maybe you guys see me. I, mean, I love documentaries. It's one of my other favorite genres with comedy and fantasy, mm-hmm. besides horrors. Um, but I had never seen this, despite hearing about it for years, was um, Capturing the Freedmans, which is a... Uh, oh, it's from the same com- guy who did the uh, Robert Durst uh, documentary, The yeah. Jinx. Yeah, The Jinx, yeah. He, um, but it's... That's it's, his first movie. Yeah, yeah. it's this... It, it won, I mean, a lot of awards and stuff in the early aughts, but... Uh, I definitely find the whole it's um i don't want you know without giving a huge amount of weight it's basically about a uh child pornography and molestation case in upstate new york um and you know the way it unfolds is is really well done some people think it's very um you know polarized that the the filmmaker takes sides and stuff but he, it really wasn't that pronounced but i i enjoyed that one immensely um would recommend i've actually read up on the case a little bit more i find the whole i'm a big i have a big interest in the satanic panic ritual abuse era of the 80s and 90s i think some of these are the most i mean definitely the mcmartin of course being the most egregious waste of time ever and the most expensive trial in u.s history yep and found not guilty because there was no real evidence but well on on that just real quick yeah have you seen true detective i have not victor has lauded it so many times i mean the accolades and every time i look i'm like i just want the only thing it's just like a lot of shows the big part for me is i don't have hbo i don't even have cable oh, sure right but yeah, i don't have right. hbo but i've been dying to see i mean that one in game it's of thrones on dvd um, now yeah, i wish i know and i like had the dvd and i sold it not that long ago oh yeah i'm looking forward i will pick it up probably here and that will be my next one yeah because i think so, you'd enjoy that well a lot of people too know knowing that i'm a i'm a huge Lovecraft acolyte have also said you know it's got that very subtle um, influence that kind of eldritch one so I dig it Uh, the worst film I've seen in a long time um, because I just go see anything in dollar theaters I'm trying to catch up on a few (laughs) but I'll watch anything and I've really enjoyed a few um, children's movies lately I really like Big Hero 6 and Book of Life Mm -hmm. and I took a chance on Strange Magic and that was basically a shark. I don't think I've I even total- heard about that. I movie. totally gambled on that. Yeah, it's a, a it's actually a LucasArts film. Oh, oh this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, it's an abortion. It That's is right. a late term abortion. And I, I've literally, I mean, it kind of rescue saves itself at the very, very end. I mean, it's not too bad in the last 15, 20 minutes. It has the most songs I've ever scene in any film even a musical there is literally a song every two minutes in this film both original and but it has every like top 40 hit of the last 34 years um everyone that they could afford i'm sure they couldn't afford a lot of the other so it just goes to show you how much george lucas is just out of touch with the rest of the world i guess it was a a, uh uh what do you call it a uh, passion piece like wanting to make it for years like a children's film yeah like red wings yeah and it is just I'd rather watch Twice Upon a Time, like, over and over again. You know what actually film I did see a couple years ago that I actually really enjoyed? That is this film. It's the same damn plot, except for they did better. was Epic. 
um, oh, which yeah, is actually yeah. kind of yeah. fun and, and fantastical and enjoyable. But it makes me think that me if laugh. you say that there's so much music in it, that he had kind of the seed of an idea saying, okay, I want you know th- this, this, and this to happen, first, second, third act, but not really write anything beyond that, and then just fill in all the rest. Yeah. I, I don't know. It with just, music, because that's what he thinks the formula is with Disney. I, I think it was, but I mean, even a lot of the Disney films lately um, have just not, no way this overblown, like with music. And I mean, I love music. Right. Um, musicals, it, it's a give and take, but I don't know. I, I, I'd avoid that one if I could, but other than that. You did, uh, so. Yeah, <laughs> it's too I did. late now. Yeah, I did not. Uh, thankfully, I paid very, very little, um, but. Oh, yeah. you paid a lot. I paid yeah. a lot. That is true. It it was uh, taxing on the soul, um, <laughs> but uh, hopefully Victor's had better luck here. Uh, yeah, well, I you've been pretty busy. Oh yeah, no, we were out at a uh, Monster Palooza in L.A. With and you got a little what head cold or is it allergies? Yeah, you think it like, is or exhaustion. Probably. Uh, I think it's a combination a combination of, of all those. Contrad. So if I sound a little under the weather and a little is that quieter official than diagnosis usual. the con crud <laughs> yeah i don't know but yeah pretty much it's just like allergies flamed up yeah but um no it was cool like uh it's basically monster palooza is a big special effects convention and it's just getting bigger every year more artists and yeah you know we were lucky to get in but it was cool we were able to talk up cult classics to like a a lot of people maybe lined up some future guests for screenings that seem really interested in coming out that had connections to Arizona. So, you know, it was fun. Uh, I think I enjoyed, like, John Favreau came to our booth and asked us what we yeah, were up awesome. about. Yeah, that's he was awesome. a really nice guy. And really tall. I saw oh, the yeah. picture of the two of you together. I'm like, wow, he's a big dude. Oh, yeah, no. And then we were, you know... I was talking to him about, like, you know, I, don't, I didn't think he got enough uh, credit for building the foundation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he said he he was uh, kind of glad to be out of the Marvel Studios business. You know, he's happy just riding along and seeing what happens. Right. You know, but it was like it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I didn't actually get a chance to see a lot of movies in the last week or so that were new. Um, I saw Going Clear, which is the uh, Scientology, Scientology documentary. Oh. Um, I mean, I took a class, in a graduate-level class in Scientology when I was in law school, so I knew all the stuff they were talking about already, but I think somebody who, like, their exposure to Scientology is just like talk shows and stuff will be really or like South Park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort of blown away by like, you know, the stuff about the Sea Org and how, you know, the workers there only make like six cents an hour and they sign the, like, you know, billion year contracts. It's yeah, no, I'm like interested in trafficking. Yeah. So, so, I mean, did you take that law class because they sue everyone? I mean, is that required? Oh, yeah. And I found the, I found the topic really interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, and then um, in terms of other mov- new movies, I saw I saw the sequel to Monsters, Monsters Dark Continent, um, which is terrible. Hmm. I would almost say to the point of being unwatchable. I tried really hard to like really sit there and digest what the plot was, but basically whoever directed it was like. I really enjoy the Hurt Locker, so I'm just gonna do a shitty remake of the Hurt Locker and throw in tons of PTSD, a little bit of that movie Brothers with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and 
I'll oh, show some Portman one. Yeah, and then yeah. I'll show some Cthuloid monsters. I think the only grabbing thing in the first hour is the fact that they have a pit bull dog fights with smaller aliens, and then at the end they shoot the dog <laughs> and the uh, aliens. It's it's not a movie worth watching. Apparently, it's playing at the Phoenix Film Festival too. So I would huh. suggest you avoid that like the plague. Which, funny enough, it's also a Radius Weinstein Company movie. So they got behind It Follows, but not this uh, travesty. Well, the obvious reasons, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, and as, as you guys are talking, I also have to mention that uh, one of my favorite picks from last year, um, uh, a Wolf Cop, is now on Netflix. Oh, I forgot to say that. That was the one. I picked up um, the uh, Best Buy yeah, exclusive, the Best Buy exclusive one, yeah. and I, I, rem- I picked it up on your recommendation, another blind buy. I, I'd seen it. It looked fun, and it was. Yeah. It, it was, you know, it's one of those ones where you could feel the heart in that film that right. they really, really tried. It just starts picking up, you know. But um, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for any werewolf film, and, and it, the comedy elements was a give and take, but um, I will say it looked great. The transformations were a lot of fun, and the uh, it was just a good good bit. I mean, yeah. the acting was great, and I liked how they, um, without spoil any spoilers and stuff, they made a you know a mythology right. that was easy to pick up in like a minute, you right. know, as opposed to trying to draw it out for a great yeah, title like and, and stuff, stuff like yeah. that. Right. Yeah, that worked. So that was fun. Cool. Oh, and I also saw the ABCs of Death Part Two, which uh, I don't know if, if you guys have seen that. I, I tried to one. watch the first. I liked the first one enough like of the, the stories. One. I just I think I was falling asleep that um, but I did try to make it through VHS viral and I got like five minutes in and I still haven't been able to pick it up again. I, I will say there's a few good um, skits in part two. Julian Barat from the Mighty Boosh does one that's really good. And the Sasuke twins have one called uh T is for torture porn that uh, was really good and really didn't have anything to do with torture porn, <laughs> which, I, like so I said, an ironic title. Yeah, it's an ironic title. And there's one. The reason I brought this up, uh, the very last one, I think it's called uh, W is for Wish. W is for Wish. I think it's by the same people who did Wolf Cop. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, and oh, you guys would love it. It's like a. Uh, this kid and he's playing with like his it's in the 80s and then he's playing with like a he-man in the masters of the universe type uh toy and like oh i wish i could really save you know the xe for you know prince uh, you know the the sorceress and he gets thrown into the masters of the universe world with <laughs> oh, that kind wow. of special effects and he-man is like you know oh it's really dark I'm, <laughs> you should see it it's really good oh well, now i really do want to watch yeah, it. yeah. i know what i'm watching it this week yeah yeah Yep. Well, I think uh, that rounds up our, you know, reviews of stuff we've watched. So now uh, we should segue into the main topic here with our remaining time, which is the parodies and satires. And, you know, we've all seen, you know, scary movie. You know, and then there's movies like Airplane that, like, you know, take popular conventions and make fun of them and then there's all then there's a smart filmmaker who takes a mainstream film and throws in subversive satire in there and i think we all have our favorites there i think mine would be the work of paul Verhoeven specifically 
you know, in a RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. I second that. That was definitely one of the first things I thought of when we approached with this topic. Yeah, so I think that's probably what I'll chat about. But uh, Adam, what when you think of a parody or a satire that really sticks out? Well, I want to define it because the thing because the thing was is that i there were a couple of them that i watched that were kind of like the you know you always hear the word spoof i get well you haven't heard it in a long time but as i was kind of doing research you know the word spoof came up again um that were just like really awful and i figured well it's the week of um you know april fools and everything so i thought it'd be fun to talk about you know the the different parodies and satires but a, a parody is an imitation of style of particular writer artist or genre with deliberate exaggeration for comic effect Mm-hmm. take that for what that is uh satire oh no it's too small i can't see it oh okay uh use of humor irony exaggeration or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues yeah thank you dictionary.com well i think that kind of touches on you know sort of what you know when I think of something like a parody, I think of something like, you know, a Zucker Brothers movie, like right. Airplane, or even if I want to look at the 90s, I think of something like Not Another Teen Movie, mm-hmm. or Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Yeah. You know, movies that like kind of look at all the other movies going on and, you know look at what those films are really saying like oh look at the stereotypes involved you know not another teen movie i brought that up because i think in the past few years there's been a lot of these scary movie epic movie disaster right. movie yeah they just they don't re- just they're not surface. really yeah exactly there's that's no where I was going. there it's like oh look at this scene you know from that movie yeah you remember that movie as yeah and that's not satire it's right. just showing you a scene you remember from a movie and right. it got i think especially in the last few years it got to the point where they actually just have characters playing like kim kardashian like look she's supposed to be yeah. kim kardashian right. it's so funny right and when you look at not another teen movie specifically because i think that's one of the last good ones you know it builds a little universe with these characters who are supposed to be like um archetypes for right. characters mm-hmm. you know and mia you know it it has a uh, chris evans who we all know from captain america he's playing jock character from um i think uh 16 candles basically and then there's a ducky type character there's like the asian character there's the chick from cruel intention black guy. yeah exactly yeah and it was it was done really well and then there's the pretty ugly girl you know like oh let me undo that ponytail and now yeah, you're so, beautiful I mean, the thing was the thing that made that so much more interesting is like you said they took the archetypes of that uh-huh and the construct of that that people are familiar with and just gets re you know all that stuff gets rehashed anyways in like more of kind of the the you know the dramedies you know the the tween films the high school well, yeah, that was comedies actually- and stuff. But then when they actually do like a, uh, you know, a, a parody of that or a satire of that, it um, that is one of those that that almost kind of mars a line where it's almost like its own thing, like Ten Things I Hate About You, yeah. as opposed to being kind of like a slapstick comedy, like Airplane would be. Yeah, yeah, I was but actually- it's still kind of in that same. Well, I was going to put. Uh, not another teen movie on mine i mean in that line of that 
Zucker kind of, you know, because I really thought of the gamut, I mean, where, you know, it comes from. But I think that why that one worked, too, was, I mean. You didn't have to see the movies it was making they fun of. Right. It was just, yeah, there you go. That, that's yeah. a good way to put it. That was one of the things I was going to say. But even beyond that, too, was that, I mean, it was, you know, very self-aware at a time when those films were not like that. I mean, I think it became that later, had those blips, but, you know, the fourth wall kind of breaking. Mm -hmm. But a lot of, um, you know, just very clever and things that didn't have anything to do with any of those, you know, films or something or something very, um, you know, retro or old school. And it just, it did work. And then the... um, you know, I, I think though the the nails on the head with that, like, okay, we're doing a, you know, you know, this scene is the exact one. I think that's where a lot of those films just started well, no, and to go that's downhill. The thing, like, uh, what I thought was, I mean, I think honestly, the last one of those that really works is Scary Movie, and that's another um, one. Yeah, after that, I think what happened is the producers had a schism with the Wayne's Brothers, and now the Wayne's Brothers are doing their own thing. Again, I mean the latter day Wayne's Brothers, not Key and Ivory Wayne's, because yeah, honestly, the, the haunted house stuff is just yeah. Terrible. I can tell you one of the first movie, and the reason it works is because at the age I saw this movie, there's no way I could have seen any of the movies I was making fun of. It was <laughs> I'm gonna get you, sucker. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like you know the Wayne's Brothers did that, and that movie actually led them to doing In Living Color, but it was making fun of all the black exploitation movies that they grew up watching, you right. know, you know, and Keenan Ivory Wayne's is playing like, you know, the stereotypical black hero that like Jim Brown would play in these movies. And of mm-hmm. course his mentor is Jim Brown. And it's really, you know, they have the fight scenes and it parodies the way you would see, uh, stuntmen in black exploitation movies, which I wouldn't notice years later, would be a white guy in a wig. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really obvious, and it's a smart movie. You don't yeah, need to see any black exploitation movies because basically a black exploitation and, and movie edgy of its too. own. Yeah, yeah. and there were other examples. I'm trying to remember who the other the other guy was. I was doing. Um, it, I'm blanking on it right now, but there have been more kind of like softball. Well, softer well, like yeah there's the mel brooks ones yeah. like space balls you know and young frankenstein is a big one mm-hmm. but i was thinking with the whole um spiritual successor that i'm gonna get you sucker for me was the uh, undercover brother which oh, I, I know yeah. people are very divisive on but i mean it's one of those films where i'm like you have to have seen it when it came out in the sense that i mean it's still funny down the line but it was just unexpected like i didn't know what i was getting into when i saw it Mm -hmm. and the other film i can say that about uh, that i do want it because i think this is an important one especially as it became like a total cultural zeitgeist but the original when it not the theatrical re-release but the original run of austin powers i i'd never heard of it i didn't know what the fuck it was about and then the then watching on me Growing up, I'm watching so many spy films. So much I've came right. from a huge James Bond loving household. I, I just damn near died laughing. <laughs> it was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But that magic, of course, is pretty much gone. Well, but. it's it's interesting you mentioned. Well, I want to address two things. Oh, one, sorry, Undercover Brother is a really good movie, especially it holds up, and it is a good successor. I'm going to get you second, especially compared to. Uh, the movie that tried to be an undercover brother, Pootie Tang. 
Yeah. I'm Which cold. is interesting because that was Louis C.K. writing it, who's one of the funniest guys to me. It, but that You film, know, when you put someone on a leash, man, I yeah. don't know. That booty <laughs> tang is just terrible. But um, I was listening was to Was that your uh, double feature when you went and saw The Wash and <laughs> Soul Plane? No. Uh, God, that was in an interesting era from like <laughs> 2001 to 2003. Yeah. No. Um, there's another one I want to talk about. But while you're talking, I'll look it up on my phone because I'm not totally sure of the title. But... um. I, I will say, um, you know, Pootie Tang is a terrible movie, but I was listening to uh, the Comedy Film Nerds podcast not too long ago, and um, they were talking about Austin Powers and how that movie, the reason it worked was because, um, I guess at the time, Mike Myers' father had just died. So basically, he was doing a parody of the English spy movies that his father loved is kind oh. of like a love letter to him. These weren't even the movies that Mike Myers grew up with. It was like stuff like in like, oh, Flint, sure, yeah. you know, and like not bond movies, but just like British spy films. And most mm-hmm. people wouldn't really, you know, be that familiar with. And that's why it works because it's so inside. And if you, he was still making it work. And as those, as it, as those sequels came on, they got broader and more popular and they just became like a joke factory like oh we need a british guy get michael kane oh exploding car you know it just became stupider and stupider but austin <laughs> powers the first one is like the only one yeah because like i remember going genuine spy who shagged me and walking out after five minutes like this this is a piece of shit well it doesn't help that they have britney spears in the first like few oh that's five cool, minutes that's oh the, that's, that's right Omer. that's the boys uh song instantly in and it's just <laughs> it was like i mean they should have just done the full on pepsi commercial and just called it a day oh sure but i mean you know mike myers is another one of those guys who i i uh, you know it's interesting to think like so i married an axe murder not mm-hmm. on this current topic but a right. guy who had made a film like that and it's like you know wow he really showed some potential and stuff and that's where i see in that even his performance in the first couple shrek films mm-hmm. like as a voice actor it, it's just more honest but it's like our touching on quick our part about um am sandler like am sandler is a guy yeah uh, you know he named his company happy mass and i go because yeah it's your two funniest films you ever made mm-hmm. and then i love some of the stuff he's doing like give me a chance like i love grandma's boy right. but like a lot of the other ones it's just kind of like but i mean since i don't know maybe like 50 first dates or click or something like that which i didn't even really enjoy that much but i'd say big daddy maybe was like his last film i mean you're talking 16 years ago it's, it's like it's gone dude it's, I think it's never coming back was uh there was a point i think where adam sandler had to do that jump that people like tom hanks have done where they have like to jump into either a more mature level of comedy or a different genre and adam he, sandler did it he, he did punch, a punch, punch drunk, drunk love, love. Yeah. and it punch drunk love is a brilliant movie because basically it's what if an Adam Sandler movie happened in the real world? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be cute and endearing. It would be frightening and strange. Right. And the movie didn't do well, and it scared him, and he went right back into that hole of, I just ah, I don't know what to do it's to make like, money. What's the one that... Um, <laughs> it's just such a creepy... Stop doing the voice, dude. What's <laughs> oh, a <laughs> We're starting to become Tommy Wiseau doing Adam Sandler <laughs> with allergies uh, and con, con crud. Oh um gosh. What was that one that uh, Will Ferrell did when he did that too? Oh, oh that was the, the Stranger, than Stranger Than Fiction. Stranger Than Fiction. That was another one where, yeah, it's like a Will Ferrell movie in the real world. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. Uh, did you find what you were looking for? Yeah. So the movie I was thinking of along the lines of I'm going to get you, Seca, it's a, it's a movie from 1975 called Darktown Strutters. I don't know if you've seen this, Kirby. You might have. I have not seen that one. So basically, it's like a girl gang. Like a, it's an all black girl gang, and they live in like this alternate Los Angeles, and um, they, it's making fun of the black experience in black exploitation movies and the real world. If you watch this movie now, it feels so deeply racist. You're uncomfortable. Mm. Like they all eat at a KFC type restaurant that the the colonel, you know. The, the, the colonel is a character in this movie where they serve watermelon and there's black black people eating giant watermelons and, and while they're waiting in line for their fried chicken and it turns out the colonel is uh, basically has a plan in this movie to take over the world by cloning himself so whites can overpower blacks for the, like a coming race war wow yeah and like that's very Charles Manson like oh, actually oh yeah no it, it's like you describe the plot it's like really dark and you watch the movie it's still it's like an empowering girl gang movie but it's still like it's a movie of its time that did not age well but if you watch it with that concept in mind it's like what okay, was it it's was a, a decade was it 70s yeah it's 60s? from 1975 okay yeah so it's more of an original black exploitation but yeah. kind of meta at the same yes time. exactly yeah huh. i remember I, I saw it in 35 millimeter like uh, a few years ago and there weren't that many people there i think it was like 10 people and like this black family showed up and for whatever reason i just felt really uncomfortable watching it then like i should leave <laughs> or pay restitutions or something exactly like that. For a Cuban, that's the whitest thing I think you've ever said, but that's cool. Uh, some of the satire people, I mean, you have to put in uh, the, the uh, you know, Team America. Yeah, I was um, say Also, them. like, well, and I, I wrote down Monty Python is just so brilliant at doing the meaning of life, life of Brian. Yeah. It's just so... Oh. It's funny that, uh, not to get too back to the black, but the one I always thought was, because I have a love-hate relationship with this film, some I absolutely adore and some I don't, but uh, Bamboozled was Spike Lee's oh, the Spike Lee, film. Yeah. Yeah, uh, is that the one where Tommy Davidson is doing the blackface? Yeah, they literally, oh, they, yeah. they basically are a, a BET kind of network, and they essentially, um, you know, running out of ideas for shows and you know they want to actually do things where you know it portrays at the african-american community in the proper light that hey it's not a one-note joke or something like that or some cheesy or it's not a minstrel show which is what they do wasn't that they, the movie that kind of killed um what's his name michael uh, michael rapaport yeah he's career no he just kind of i don't know if it killed his career it's just one of those films he does a great performance in it right everybody in that film i mean it, it loses some steam but in the initial part because but that's what it's not necessarily because it loses steam but it also is just really tragic like the you know the realization they come to and stuff of about what they're doing but it is you know, it it you know, it's a, on the topic. It's kind of like what we talked a bit ago about the Boondocks, and I've always thought mm-hmm. it was just such a great comic and a great show. At least the first few seasons, when Aaron Magruder was involved, but it works. But that's uh, one I thought of, and then the other one, kind of on the other direction, very well beloved and popular. But it's weird you don't think of it initially as a satire or a parody or whatever, but is Scrooged. Oh sure, it's literally like one of the most perfect films like in that kind of 
um, scale. It's not 100% there, like in that traditional vein or mold. Well, but it, yeah, it, I can see what you're saying. Times. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a parody of like the kind of Christmas Carol and yeah, Christmas it's very movies. meta. Yeah, so that one I I thought of. Um, well, I mean, on the same line, if you want to stick with Bill Murray, I mean, you can look at like Life Aquatic as a parody of like the Jacques Cousteau nature documentary type genre. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's kind of like you brought up the you know Trey Parker, Matt Stone kind of family of movies. I mean, they did a full on Zucker and basketball and right. yeah, that's a yeah. Zucker movie. It's a yeah. Zucker movie. And then they did, uh, you know, I mean, South park itself, the movie has got a Park-ass lot. That's one, I can say that the basketball is probably, and I mean, I like the movie, you know, on a surface level, but it's, very much latter day Zucker brothers. It's, oh, totally. it's not. It's, it's got. It's just got so many great lines in it, though. That, I, but that's what they are. They're quotable. It's like airplane. It's just so quotable. Still, right. I mean, you're you're talking a long time later, but I think the the where the success that. Uh, Parker and Stone have has always been in the diversity from Campbell the musical to Orgasmo to Basketball to um, South Park and then you know they've tried to do a lot of different things into you know finally doing like the Book of Mormon and stuff like they've always tried but um, another group I'd say I, I've always felt like the um, you know uh, Blood and Ice Cream trilogy is just such a perfect Mm-hmm. parody satire as well of uh, i mean i especially think hot fuzz is example of that because it's just i mean it's very open about you know it's in wearing its influence on its sleeves but it just kills me every time yeah, yeah. well i mean that's the thing i mean we have been talking it, it does fit in perfectly with what we're talking about in terms of like parody parodying a genre you know and each of those films parodies a specific genre like the buddy cop movies you know the alien invasion and the zombie movie yeah because when i was when i was just looking it up casually i thought this would kind of be you know something that'd be very simple and you know just to encapsulate maybe like two or three different things Mm -hmm. but when i was actually looking up the you know what is a parody or a satire film it's just there are so many out there and i would say i've seen like 90 percent of them and i would see like 100 percent of them Mm-hmm. If I could, well, for some reason, it's I, I love these films more than I actually realized. Well, no, and once you get into satire films, it's like a whole different animal. I mean, look at like Dawn of the Dead or right. Night of the Living Dead. They're just like you know taking contemporary issues, putting them in a genre coding, and then you're like, oh, I get what they're talking about. But if you look at this subgenre, yeah. as if you say you know it's not it's not a horror film, it's a it's a satire. Uh-huh. It, there's there it's it's a lot broader than I thought it was. Yeah. Where I thought it'd be more specific, where I'd say, Oh yeah, you know, the Zucker brothers, you know, the the South Park guys, you know, and whatever. Cause I watched um there was there's a new well there's they're they're doing a bunch of different ones with the the Hunger Games where they're doing like these parody oh, films or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're just terrible. But one final nail in the coffin is I watched The Walking Deceased. Yeah. What was so terrible about this parody is they were parodying comedies. And I think I don't really think that necessarily works and it didn't work with this one. They had The Walking Dead is what, you know, the kind of the main thing that they were trying to, you know, make fun of. Yeah. Um to pay homage to. But then they had characters that were just the Zombieland. Um well, the Warm Bodies. 
Fido. So they were trying to bring in like these ones that are already comedies. How do you do a parody of a comedy because it's already something that is a comedy? But it now seems it's like, like a that's how comedy. all of them are now. You know, it's just referential well, humor. It's, it's hard too because then you get the films. You know, it's like why did um airplane exist and it's like airplane existed because there were so many disasters yeah, the showering, inferno, inferno poseidon oh, the so final serious. countdown kind of films and stuff but there was always and then there was like i mean there's a subgenre of like the angry animals and stuff the day of the grizzly and all those kinds of things mm-hmm. that that went off in a little bit different direction but you know you saw that a lot in that in the 70s i mean it was just that time period but, I mean, you know, you could argue that the reason epic movie or date movie or dance movie or whatever exists is because there is a glut of those films as well. Mm-hmm. But I just think that, you know, it's kind of partially there's that percentage of it that is what you're talking about where there's already a humor humor element. You know, it's it's humorous or something. Not, I mean, always some are straight dramas or whatever. Or, but then there's also, like... you just you just can't it's just done like i mean there's just so many back in the 70s you know you had basically those you know maybe a zucker film and mad magazine and that's it but now you have the internet you have a million opinions podcasts blogs um caricatures i mean everybody can be a cartoonist everyone can do some form of parody they can make short films on youtube it's so prevalent now whereas back then you know i think everyone kind of got a laugh it's also because you only saw maybe a few movies back then right you know movie time was not that common it was you know you saw a film and films were not that big and now it's just like i think in a lot of like the later like scary movie and a lot of those kind of films um because i love the first two scary movie films and i think them they uh those films and like another teen movie and a few others also worked because they were i think all rated r and you know didn't tiptoe and make it too pg-13 but the later like scary movie films you don't even know what film they're referencing. It's like, oh, sure. you know, it's so quick that it's people not forget even those movies half the away. time or anymore. Some anyway. pop culture. Yeah, it's true. It's right. like the Kim, Kim Kardashian thing. It's like a pop culture element. But I think the only other thing I, I, I was going to touch on was that, you know, you have these, um, you know, it was like that is the, you know, like on a, like a horse subgenre. I mean, there was like, you know, your Saturday the 14th, oh, right, which is yeah. more like your Zucker style. And then there was like a student bodies, which was, you know, a lot of people say as well, that was the precursor to scream. It's one of those films. It's so self-aware, yeah. um, you know, but it's also kind of Zuckerish. And then you got films like, you know, like a motel hell or, you know, a lot of these films that were, you know, just funny terror visions another great one that mm-hmm. are like that and then you have like the twin attack of like popularity with like killer clowns and uh you know attack of the killer tomatoes and toxic crusader and stuff like that toxic avenger toxic crusader show <laughs> but um you know Same it, difference. the eco warrior stuff and then you have like i mean even to the more recent stuff like the uh Don Mancini just giving up and going, you know, I've done what I can do, and I'm going to make Bride and Seed a Chucky. Mm-hmm. We might as well go full fucking board right. this way because we've gone every other way. And I those can't. are really smart. They are very too. smart. They're very very funny. Yeah. Um, and it's so it works, but I think that um, you know, I I think that's a genre. It's like you were talking about comedy. It's like horror 
straddles the line all the time with being comedy. I think drama does too. I think some mm-hmm. of these films that make fun of drama movies is because they're just so over the top. It's like that Oscar bait thing. Like I mean, I could make Crash into a full-on parody. Right. Like, but what I was mostly effort. saying is that sorry. Yeah. The thing about this, this Walking Deceased, yes, they can do a parody of The Walking Dead. It's ripe for it. But what they were doing is they're introducing. Oh, no, other things that were already comedy. Yeah, because there's not which a main story. It. You're basically like you introduce you're just all doing these things. Zombieland so again. you could do. Oh my God! There's that scene from that movie. Yeah. Oh, there's a scene from that show. Oh yeah, it's funny. If you, know, you this just parody one again. thing, then it just becomes. Oh, we actually have to write a story, right? You know, and then God forbid we actually have to write a story that's compelling. Can I don't know what the hell epic movie is about. I know there was a superhero movie. I know there was a date movie. I don't know what any of these movies are about. I just know they make fun of pop culture movies. Right. Oh, and now it's so broad, too, yeah. like you were saying. It's just it's just Oh no, and I think so you're, you're hanging on the right point 100% is is that it's like both of you is the whole like now you're you lazy. Do research yeah you can't they like, can't do anything but I mean, it's like in picking i mean they probably pick like a fido or or one of those movies because that wasn't a huge film and they're like well we'll just throw a bit in that and it's like maybe that'll main their minds they're either going no one will notice or the people who do notice oh hey look we put in some bit that you you know for those who you know those of you in the know it's like well and then you can argue like is that just a symptom of like stuff like family guy where like you know, The Simpsons used to have smart satire, but Family Guy is pretty much like, oh, remember when this happened? Oh, the non sequitur. Yeah, it's a yeah. non sequitur flashback that just references something. Yeah, The right. Simpsons literally have said they they just stopped doing those because Family Guy was just so <laughs> bloated. Couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Simpsons is my favorite show, and it, it was brilliant in that way. I mean, it's always been brilliant, both parody and satire. But, I mean... I, I don't know in films too I think some of these are just one note jokes even the ones that are funny some it's just it can't go on forever I mean I think Mel Brooks or your Monty Pythons and stuff I, I think they're brilliant they're they're great but I also think it's you know it's part of the experience with like the audience or that it's that you know that was the birth of you know in comedies I mean I think a lot of those films was when people really started like memorizing lines and stuff like that and you know saying them to each other all the time mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's definitely a, a phenomenon of the last, like, 30, 40 years. I yeah. mean, I can't think of many films from the 50s, 60s that people quote, like, in a comic sense. Or Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm really, I'm, I'm Well, the raspy. idea of something being quotable, I think, is very much a symptom of, like, the internet age or the water cooler age. You know, like, oh, did you hear that? Oh, no, I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, <laughs> as <laughs> uh, Tommy was uh, doing said, his ah. voice now that was just me being like ah. <laughs> <laughs> well there's also that whole uh, <clears throat> thing of I mean yeah like the sound bite and stuff like that it's funny I recently watched um I, I watch it like at least once or twice a year almost every year is Eddie Murphy's delirious which is still my favorite stand-up mm-hmm. bit and uh, one of the great ones here I'm do basically you know doing it myself but it's the you know he's like don't try to do my jokes you know you'll be like hey and then he got the gi joe stuck up his ass and goonie goo goo and it's just like he's just basically making the point that people it's it circles back to what you're talking about people are lazy instead of coming up with their own jokes and it's like and not in a in an intelligent way like a satire or even a fun parody Mm. now it's just kind of lazy it's been that way for way too long yeah no i agree yeah 
No, and I think for the most part, I, there, we could keep talking about this topic forever. I mean, there's just, it's so much broader, I think, than we, like, gave uh, ourselves credit for. But I think we just talked about a lot of important aspects of why it worked, you know, touching on, you know, archetypes and tropes and why those things are important cornerstones of storytelling. And sometimes by examining them, we can examine what makes a movie work or not. But uh, that's pretty much it for this edition of Cult Following. Um, you can always catch us usually the third Saturday of every month at Pollock Tempe Cinemas with one of our screenings. Our next show will be on Record Store Day, April 18th for Purple Rain uh, with our friends at Z Records. We'll have some cool giveaways for that. Find us online at cultclassicsaz.com. Check out our website, cultfalling.co, where you can read uh, some awesome reviews of movies. Kirby just posted one for It Follows, and I'm interested to see what you think of that. Leave us comments on our Facebook at facebook.com slash cultclassicsaz. And as always, don't eat after midnight and stay dry. Bye.